Hi, I'm James Sykes, CEO, President, and Director of Baseload Energy Corp. We're a uranium exploration company focused in the Athabasca area of northern Saskatchewan. Our thesis is looking for near-surface, open-pitable, basement-hosted, high-grade uranium deposits. And we think that our thesis has really come together as we made a discovery last year called the Accio Discovery. And here to talk to you a little bit more about that. James, a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for joining me on the call. Um, great introduction. Um, for my benefit, and perhaps for viewers, could you just give me a little bit of um, background to your experience and kind of your understanding? Because, you know, um, Baseload's at a really interesting point, um, and you've come in to take this kind of on, and, you know, you're, you're really, you know, heart and soul of this company at the moment. So just kind of how you got Thanks, to Thanks, Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to meet you. Meet you. A lot of heart and soul. That's all I can really say. I, I dug in hard right from day one and, and just strived to understand the geology behind the Athabasca Basin. So I started out in 2006 working Denison Mines. I saw drill core there that led to uranium discoveries that Denison now has, Phoenix and the Griffin deposits. I went to Half Thor Exploration. They had the Rough Rider deposit at the time, so I got to see more mineralized core. I put together a 3D model for the for the project and led to two more discoveries. I joined on with Next Gen Energy very early on and helped lead the team to a uh, probably one of the largest high-grade uranium discoveries in the world at Aero. So again, seeing more mineralization and being part of that discovery from exploration to discovery was basically sealed the deal for me. And that's kind of had an idea of what, uh, what I knew I was doing. And it was around that time that I just developed this whole thesis that we don't need to explore the unconformity. There's a lot of mineralization that happens in the basement rocks. Let's look for those because they seem to be easier to mine. But if we can find them outside of the current Athabasca Basin margin, which we know was, or can assume reliably, that the Athabasca Basin was a lot larger back in its heyday when it was forming, then there should be more deposits hidden beneath glacial overburden in Saskatchewan that are near surface. And that's where baseload comes along. Brought so, that thesis forward to the group, and we've been going forth ever, forth, ever since. So 16 years on Athabascan uranium geology. Yep, with a little bit of rare earths thrown in the mix as well. Excellent. And what was, you know, when you when you say you brought the thesis to baseload, you know, um, is, am I right in thinking that essentially what you're saying is that the the these, the, the sediments of the Athabasca Basin that were once were flat lying were then deformed to give kind of edges to the basin. So there's there's kind of an erosional element to it which has been kind of taken away, and that but the structure underneath continues laterally beyond where the kind of Athabasca sediments can be mapped at surface. Is that really what you're saying? Uh, kind of yes and no. So I use the Tarim Basin, which is forming in the Himalayas today, as an analogy to this. So when you consider that the basin formed during the, the Trans-Hudson Orogeny and even a large, or it was, it was all part of a massive orogeny that was being built uh, two billion years ago and, and older. And as the basin was forming, yeah, it formed like any any good old mountainous basin does, and it has its topography and, and topology to it. And throughout time that it all eroded, and what we see left is, is what remains, as you said, like this, as your V. However, if you look at a lot of basin topography, that V is usually the lower part. There is an upper part that is more flat-lying and horizontal that we can assume has been eroded. 
Yep. So if, if you need that unconformity for, for basement hosting, for, for deposits to be outside of the current Athabasca, you know, if this is current Athabasca and this is old, and we've eroded just down to about there, you're not that far off from where the traditional unconformity would have been. Yep. Lots of, lots yep. of opportunities there. You were instrumental in Arrow, okay, and which is this, this extraordinary rich and large deposit. Um, can you just talk to me about the, um, the kind of the mineralizing system? You know, the, 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 what makes Arrow so special? Is it many pulses of mineralization? Is it a long-lived hydrothermal system with kind of, which concentrated and concentrated and concentrated the uranium? You know, um, what are the specific features that make Arrow so, so great? The trap. I think it's really the structural trap and just the, the plumbing system having concentrated everything into that area. Uh, you know, I'm, I believe that there's a dual component to uranium mineralization in the Athabasca that you do need your sandstone to be a source of uranium, but I also think there's a basement source. And when you have those two combined and fluids migrating along these structures, once they hit that trap to, to precipitate out uranium, that's, that's the golden zone. You just, it's, it's being able to find those. So with abundant structures that do occur into this into the basin, you can have a number of structures all parallel, but only one of them will have uranium mineralization to it. And that, that has to be the largest fluid funnel. And, and you start looking at structural dynamics within, within fault systems, within basins. You, know, you can have a number of faults that yep. push up fluids, which is not what you really want. You want the fluids to come down. So you got to find you have to find those structures where they're basically vacuums and just drop. Oh, really? Them really, it's, it's downward down. fluid flow. That's the idea behind it all. Yeah. Wow. It's it's it, it is complex. It's not as easy. <laughs> when I was at Rough Rider, I was working on I was working on this where where I was looking at the the pulses because they are pulses. Yes, many many pulses throughout millions, hundreds of millions of years, probably. Uh, that have produced these deposits. And at that Rough Rider, it was a great example where you can see these pulses going up. You can see these yeah. pulses going laterally. You can see these pulses going down. So it's an interconnectivity of fluid systems. But on the overall scale, the idea is that the, the Athabasca basin fluids were essential to this. And so therefore fluids have to come down. Can you pull up a map and show you show me your kind of your tenements and your just kind of where where your target areas are relative to the kind of the architecture of the basin? Yeah, two seconds here. And when you say that the Athabasca sediment fluids need to be going downwards, surely you could have a buried basin, a buried sediment, buried sediment with. Um, Dewatering and fluids coming upwards, you don't necessarily need them to be coming from shallow to deep. Correct. And that's, there are a lot of papers about that too, where in, in a basin, especially work that has been done here in the Athabasca Basin, they have mapped fluids moving upwards up the basin unconformity. That there's such a pressure, there's an increased pressure towards the middle of the basin that it drives most of the, the fluids that are at depth up towards the edges. Yeah, yeah. So you, you can see the map then, obviously? Yes, I can, thank you. Perfect, yep. And so this is where our tenements are. There are projects, we've got Hook and Hook Southwest over here, right along the basin edge. 
catharsis and shadow are quite a ways off. Now, a lot of people think that they could be too far. But again, if you consider that the Athabasca Basin was a lot larger when it was formed, and we've got reason to believe that because I can't remember where exactly it is on this, but about 80 kilometers east of the basin out in this area, there is another sedimentary basin called the Riley Subbasin. And it's believed that that Riley Basin was a part of the Athabasca at the time. So now you've got 80 kilometers to, to connect the two. There's also good indications up in this area that the Athabasca Basin is still prevalent as a subbasin, or the boulders that were found up here are very close to their source. Other notable um, geologists and, and professors do believe that the Athabasca was also connected to the Thelon Basin at the time. So that makes a large super basin, and then what remains today are just the, the ultimate subbasin, the roots of all of these basins. So if you consider all of that, and how large this whole super basin could have been, then it's really not a stretch of the imagination that either shadow or catharsis would have been covered by the by the basin as it is. This summer, this summer we found something very encouraging on catharsis. We had found a couple of boulders, and especially one of them that looked looked like it was very close to source from its glacial transport. Transport. It was. Yeah probably a couple meters wide, very flat line, and it was about this thin. Something like that, if that's carried, especially sandstone, if that's carried by basin, oh, just give me one second here. The sandstone, the boulder that we saw, was yep. about a meter large and about this thick. Yeah. So it's a big pancake. If glaciers carry that, and especially if it's sandstone, and the sandstone was oscillicified. You can see the clays inside. It almost looked desilicified to a degree. If glaciers carried that, that's going to crack. That's going to break. And it's going to be just tossed up and, and shattered into little pieces. But it was so flat it lying and just right there. So, yes, that's exactly what we think, too, that it was proximal. And if that's the case, then that means we could have we could have sub-basin Athabasca sandstone on catharsis and just simply not visible because of the glacial overburdens and all this and the swamps in the area. Catharsis has, has a lot of hills and valleys. Obviously, the hills are very prominent, but we don't have a clue what's in what's underneath those valleys. This, in the hill. For my benefit, I'm um, such a noob to the Athabascan kind of basin. It's it's it looked from that map as about kind of 30, 40 kilometers north south and 56 kilometers east west. Much larger than that. It's about 400 kilometers east west and about 200 kilometers north south. I misread the I misread the coordinates then. I was probably in. So, so could you just pull that map up again, um, please? It's just uh, the Ath the, the Athabasca sediment age is 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 what is it, are, are they also kind of a couple of billion years old or um the Athabasca is roughly 1.7 billion, so it is very old. Uh, so, so those oh, it's 200,000. So those are 100 kilometer clicks, not um, 10 kilometer correct. clicks. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, goodness me, this um, I'm so used to England, where the, the distances are small, and uh, you're that's a truly Canadian uh, uh, scale there. I think England can fit here, can't it? Yeah, it probably can. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly can. Um, <clears throat> good. Okay. And is, is it fair to say that the, the thickness of the sediments in the center there, underneath the words Athabasca Basin, are much greater than they are at the fringes? Absolutely. 
And there's there's a lot of different topography along the base. And so yes, in the middle, it's about one and a half kilometers deep. Um, okay. The 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 most gradual decline from the edge towards the middle is over here along the eastern boundary. Okay. Where you know I, I can't give you a gradient, but when you come over to uh, I guess I can kind of give an example here. So if we look at MacArthur River, MacArthur River is about, what, 500 meters beneath the surface. And if you come over here to Centennial, well, that's about 700 meters beneath the surface. So you can see okay. the, the, the difference between, uh, between the distances. So it, it's very steep, very steep incline here, and it's even up on the north end and also to the west. It's supposed to be very steep up here as well. And um, what's what's how much deformation has there? How much kind of structural deformation can you see in the past? You know, one point seven billion years, or has it been relatively um, uh, quiet? As far, okay, uh, I guess, as far as metamorphism, there is not. There might be a little bit in a subbase up around the Uranium City area, but as far as the sandstone themselves, they are not deformed by metamorphism. They are, however, as you say, they are structurally deformed. Now, the age of uranium mineralization is basically about 1.5 million years ago. So 200 million years of structural activity, at least between when the, when the basin was originally formed and when the first uranium deposits were being formed as well. And then those structures have continued to be reactivated for hundreds of millions of years after that. Some of the, some of the uranium dates in the Athabasca are about 300 million years ago. That's about 1.4 billion years of structural and fluid reactivation. Wow. Wow. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I know we're not specifically talking about baseload, but thank you very much for talking me through this. It's, it's um, really helpful uh, for my general understanding about kind of mineralization in the Athabasca, um, uranium mineralization. Um, and that long-lived, you know, 1.4 billion years of... Um, uranium mineralization is is that's just an extraordinary driver you've got this extraordinary kind of um source of energy and fluid and minerals right through um so um while we've got this this kind of this map up can you just um explain in kind of simple terms how much work has been done on hook the hooks catharsis and shadow in terms of drilling and kind of stage of exploration and what's going to be, how, how your efforts are going to be divided looking forwards. Shadow, we know of one drill hole back in the 70s that was done on the project. There's some outcrop mapping in the area and a couple of historic airborne surveys that were done. So basically not much. We have flown the project with an airborne MT survey and we love the results. It, screams it screams that there is a lot of potential structural potential and that's first step we would like to follow that up with some gravity work and then to help us refine our target um, and then that sorry sorry ground gravity Versus or um airborne airborne, airborne. heli uh, yep. helicopter born okay yeah heliborne gravity uh, it worked for us at hook and we also flew that at catharsis and we see some similar targets at hook or target signals that we see at hook down on catharsis. Catharsis, if not mistaken, there's less than 10 drill holes. Actually, I think probably, yeah, probably less than that. But catharsis, again, one of these areas that's not really highly explored. On the eastern limb of the catharsis project, 
there are a number of high-grade uranium occurrences that do occur up in this area. There are surface occurrences that were discovered in the 1970s and not really re reworked since. So that is our intention to go out there. But again, the as far as drilling goes, there's really nothing out there. Yeah. Hook, similar situation. I think there was one or two drill holes on Hook, uh, far away from any target areas that we were looking at. And not much work done on that either. The thing with Hook, though, when we were going into it, was that Hook showed no, uh, despite the amount of surveys that were done on the project, historically, there were no EM potential on the project. So electromagnetism, uh, looking for conductors, no conductors, basically. And that's a staple in, in Athabasca exploration because those structures are your predominant, yeah. uh, predominant structural corridors in which uranium can count. So that was kind of a, that's where we took Hook as being this, okay, well, we've got to look at the structure first and foremost, let's ignore the conductors and let's do that. So we, we took a different uh, geophysical approach to, to applying Hook. And as far as south, Southwest Hook goes, there are no drill holes on that project either. So a lot of these were all very underexplored. And that kind of builds on the whole thesis that, sure guys, we can find Kind of these Athabasca style deposits, and there's probably a heck of a lot more of them going on. But if we consider that the basin was a lot larger down here and everything is hidden beneath the glacial overburden, how many more deposits are we going to find out in these areas? Yeah, really interesting. Um, um, could you just yep. pop that off the screen, please? Can I, can I build on oh, one thing here? Athabasca 2.0. Athabasca 2.0 is perfectly shown in this image. If you look at where all the mines are, so right here, just along the, along the unconformity, just less than 100 meters of, of sandstone coverage, or, or in the basement rocks, same with Key Lake, Clough Lake, there's no sandstone, it's all basement rocks, Uranium City, it's all basement rocks. Look at everything that's been mined. They're all along the edges, or in the basement rocks. Look at all the deposits that have been discovered. Now, there's a lot of them inside the basin. The only two that have ever gone forward inside the basin are Star Lake and MacArthur River because they are the monsters, each of them at least 300 million pounds, each of them with the starting grades of over 20% U308. They're phenomenal. These are the unicorns of the industry. So that's Athabasca 2.0 was really built on that saying, hey, look, these guys don't go into production. You know, anything, anything with deep sandstone cover is not going into production unless you've got the monster. Let's look for these. Let's look for these. These guys go into production. That was 60 million pounds up in this area, and that went into production. Yeah. Whereas you've got, got 100 million pounds out here. That's not going into production right now. I was, um, funny enough, I've, I was um, talking to, goodness who it was, I can't, I can't remember who, um, but um, I think it was Can Alaska who was saying that they didn't felt, feel that, I, I said, is 50 million pounds enough uh, to get you into production, you know, to, to move the needle? And he said, actually, no. A uh, hundred million pounds is probably the minimum that's required, um, but I guess if you're th 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 that's getting into the the unicorn territory that you were talking about, you know the giant deposits. Um, but if you're outside and you don't have that sandstone cover, then maybe fifty million pounds is potentially economic, depending on the geometry and um, and the rest of it. That's um, exactly. Yeah. So 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 by being outside, by being having that sandstone eroded, you you're giving yourself a chance of being economic with a smaller resource. Yeah. 
Um, you mentioned the MMT survey and the gravity survey. The the MMT does that that picks up conductors and the and structure. Um, what are you what are you seeing in the gravity that the MMT doesn't give? Well, we use them both as as trying to pick out the same type of feature. Gravity I use specifically for clay alteration because if you take a granite rock and you alter that clay, well, your density is going to be a lot less. And that's yeah. All of okay. these all of these deposits have the exact same uh, alteration envelopes. Some of yep. them being tighter than the others. Some of them being quite robust and quite large. Yeah. So that's that's where gravity comes in. Uh, but e, uh, MT, EM, they basically do the same thing, but define a little bit more of the structural corridor of interest. And so when you go along there, and again, sometimes you're looking for these uh, EM highs, these, these really conductive spots because you've had a lot of graphite in the area that's just all bunched up together, and that's your most uh, structural area. Sometimes you get EM lows because the graphite has been consumed. So you, um, you got to take one or the other, or... Sometimes there is no no EM a feature of interest, but that's where we yep. overlay the gravity with the EM and even magnetics as well. I lo love a bit of magnetics; it really. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and you mentioned base of till. No, you meant you mentioned till sampling. Was it base of till sampling? But I mean, you've got to do you've got to do the ground truthing to key in and calibrate your physical signatures. So, can you just talk to me about how you operate under? the cover of till um, um forgive me D did you say that you do base of till sampling with an auger or are you no we don't sample till thick. at all you don't okay we don't we don't do any till sampling we just rely on uh, geophysics because that'll be that shows us what's there whereas till you got to find boulder streams you got to there's a whole bunch of other things these things can be moved they may not be directly over the source so we figure that between myself and my colleague, Cameron, we've got enough experience in the basin. We've worked on deposits, we've made discoveries, and we can use geophysics to our advantage and use it reliably. That what we see with those tells us where we want to be exactly where we want to be. So, And what's your till thickness? Variable. Sometimes there is none. Sometimes it's a few meters. Sometimes it's 40 meters. Sometimes it's 80 meters. Depends where you grow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've I've worked in Sweden with um, some pretty high uh, till thicknesses, and it was just a pain in the butt. No kidding. No kidding. That's yeah. <laughs> that's why we like uh, Accio again. So the Accio discovery is really building up to be something that we do think is very special. It's got about twenty meters of till coverage, true thickness, 20-25 meters, which is really not that much. Can you show me a map of um, Accio just so I can get, kind of get my head around what you are targeting? And um... sure. Let's 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 drill down into Accio in, in both senses of the word. Let's find Accio. I guess we'll go back to a cross section. So this nice. is the overall area. Yeah. This is a conductive anomaly that we're seeing in the background. I'm yes. not showing gravity on this, but the gravity overlaps this as well. Uh, the conductive anomaly itself is about fifteen hundred meters long, five hundred meters wide. So very encouraging. And just to show you. I guess this would be kind of the, the cross-section that we're seeing. So about 20 to 25 meters of till coverage. And we do yeah. have a little bit of sandstone. So we don't okay. have the, the dreaded 100 meter thickness of sandstone. We've got a little bit that is beneficial to us, actually, because we're near surface with this. The unconformity, which is the important part, is near surface. 
Unconformity deposits are typically higher and larger tonnage. So everything's more concentrated at that unconformity than in basement rocks, typically, not all the time. So we think that having the sandstone here, where it is and, and as shallow as it is, if we can find unconformity mineralization, we're gonna be laughing all the way. It's, it just opens the, the door wide open for, for making this an open pitable discovery. But, um, so, so your primary target is a structural target in this area. And the, if there's the unconformity over the top, it's, you're saying that it, it has acted as a permeability barrier and has acted as a kind of a, a, a ponding mechanism to allow um, it, it reduces fluid flow through that structure to the point where there's enrichment in and around the structure and potentially underneath the unconformity itself. Yeah. You, have okay. to, you have to remember how uranium deposits form, even roll front deposits. Uh, they all basically form the same way that it's a redox. It's you reduce fluids, meet your oxidized fluids, or vice versa, your oxidized fluids meet your reduced fluids. And that, that effect precipitates out uranium. It's, you know, it's, it's batteries. The same way batteries work, how you go from reduced to oxidized and recharge, oxidized, reduced, or vice versa. But it's all the same principles. But it's, so, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chemical reaction rather than a pressure or a temperature exactly. reaction. Yeah, total chemical, uh, even electrochemical, if you want to go that far. So when you consider the, the basement rocks, you know, everything in this area here all has the same, let's say, electrochemical potential just for just for simplicity, these rocks down here would have a little bit different, but the most drastic electrochemical potential of all of these rock types occurs right here, right between the basement rocks and the sandstone. That's the best point. That's the best place for redox reactions. So you do get redox reactions in the, in the fault yeah. because there's the different, different chemistry to the fluids. Yeah. Um, because there's a mixing of fluids in the fault, but actually, if you if you include it with the, um, the 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 sediments as well, then it just kind of it, it, I don't know buffers the, the 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 chemistry perhaps, or kind of gives an, another element to that um, that redox front. Yeah. Okay, um, so what are we looking at down down hole here? So are those the, the the elevated radioactivity uh, is that um, based on counts per second, or is that from a Geiger counter? Or um... this yes, this this cross section right here is based on counts per second. So radioactivity as measured by a handheld CBS or handheld scintillometer, uh, sorry. And our main zone, which is right here, I can go up to the next image and and just show uh, the actual u 3 oi grades. But just before we leave this, what we do see are these units up here, which are these hematite chloride branches. Now, what I've seen on other deposits, when you start to see these type of rocks, they are the fluid pathways for uranium. I've seen these on uh, firsthand, I've seen them on three other deposits. Right. So as soon as we saw those, we were very excited that we were close to something. We've got our little graphitic. So there is a graphitic layer in this in Accio as well. And yeah. again, that's the same thing with EM conductors. You're looking for the graphite, just the structure, whether the graphite followed this, followed the structure of the graphite was formed because of the structure that's debatable. 
but regardless, graph, the presence of graphite also creates a highly reduced environment. So when you get these oxidized fluids migrating down from the sandstone and hitting this layer, this, that's, that's where you get that electrochemical potential. And then we've got some, some other rock types, calc silicates, and then our, our granite, which we consider to be our uh, stop rock, let's call it. That's where we, we figure there should be no mineralization beyond this point. But yeah, I've been surprised in the past many times. So quite a big one on this, this whole area though, we've got about 200 meters of 200 to 300 meters of pure alteration. And it's this massive plumbing system. And um, the the structures which kind of act as the the fluid pathways can be in any orientation relative to that cross section, is it? Or yes. are we looking perpendicular to kind of a, a predominant? We're looking at, at the best angle for the cross section, but possibly not the best angle for the structure. Exactly correct. And to be very honest, we're not entirely sure which way the structure goes yet. We're only four holes in on a cross section, so we haven't we haven't gone north or south of there to start piecing things together in more of a three dimension three dimensional approach, which will help us define the structures. We've got an idea. We've got a very good idea, but we just need a little bit more drilling to uh, refirm our our ideas. And just just for my information, you, you, you can see I can see that there are three holes that have gone down from that one pad under AK twenty one hundred one. Are those all in the same plane, or are they? Um, have they got different azimuths as well? They've all got so they're all oriented east west. They're all okay. oriented shooting towards uh, two seventy east or sorry west. And yep. yeah, the they all dip. So we've got minus eighty five. We have a minus 60 and then a minus 45. Okay, but they are, they're all heading east west. Yep. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Um, we, we, we drilled our fourth hole out here, assuming that the sandstone would have, would have intersected near the, the edge of the overburden. So we're trying to intersect it as, as shallow as possible. But apparently it took a much, you know, much steeper dip than, than what we thought so. Uh, we still hit a favorable area of mineralization and just kind of builds on that. But it gives us gives us an idea of where we can expect sandstone now. Okay, great. And um, where do you, wh what's your next step now? Well, next step is to find more of this guy. It's 1.29% okay. weight percent U308 over half a meter, visible uranium. That's the beauty. That's, it's, that's what at the basket is known for. This stuff's cool. Um, my, my uranium mineralogy is, is, is rubbish. Is that uraninite or is that? Yeah. And again, that's as with any other commodity in the world, it's always about mineralogy. Uraninite is by far the best mineral for uranium, uh, uranium production. So yeah. Having uraninite makes everything nice and simple. That's what all the mills are geared up for here in Saskatchewan. You know, it's not carnitites or anything like that. It's, it's all uraninite. What are our next steps? So on this cross-section here, so these are the actual, the, the drill assay results. You can see us zoomed in the upper zone. So we do have a lot of sniffs all the way down, which is very encouraging for potential, uh, any potential along these other structures, very encouraging. However, it's this upper zone that we're very excited about, very interested. This, between these drill holes, this is a 45 meter wide zone. Doesn't look yeah. like, but that's 45 meters, and that's already starting to build up some pretty good widths. And uh, 
Remind me, uh, 0.24% is 2,400 ppm. Yes. Yeah. And we're only 90 to 125 meters beneath the surface. So from, from up here down to here. So we're still shallow. Uh, two of the drill holes, these two hit high-grade uranium. We can step out here, 25 meters or 50 meters, and we think that we still have a lot of potential for mineralization continuing up this way. We've got this hole way out here, and this is about 150 meters step out. Yeah, we can easily come right back up in here and drill two more holes. Go boom, one in there, one in there, and test the uranium potential that way. If we were to have kind of well, when when we plot up uranium at lower values, so I use a 10 ppm uranium. I use a 10 ppm uranium as a as a standard for exploring in basement hosted uranium systems. So if we were to plot up that the 10 ppm on that drill that had no mineralization, you'd see that there's actually a, a nice anomaly in that area that we think is mm. the tail end of that system. So we do think that you know, plopping a couple holes within there, we can discover more uranium. And the grades, the thickness was continuing that way, the grades were continuing that way. So it kind of makes sense that there will be more. Are we going to drill those right off the bat? We will be drilling them this winter. That is one of the ideas. But we also want to step further to the east of all these drill holes. So we've got our, our drill holes basically like this. We want to come yep. back a little bit further because yep. we've only tested the west side of this anomaly. We haven't tested the east side of the anomaly as well. So there could be two subparallel conductors or structures that are hosting uranium mineralization. But then we've also got our fence. So if you assume west is this way and east is this way, yeah, this is our fence of drilling that we've done. We're going to march to the, or let's say east. So we've got to march to the north and we're going to march to the west or south. And yeah. about 50 meter, 50 meter spacing, we'll do some more fences and then we'll yeah. do another step out and do some more fences. And when, you, when you talk about the anomaly, you're talking about the kind of that EM anomaly, the, the, yes. the, the conductivity anomaly that you showed in the first one, which we had a strike length of 1500 meters on it. So could you just take me back to that original slide that you showed me with the EM, EM anomaly? Um, okay, so there you go. So you, 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 right, you're on the western edge of that anomaly. And so you want to put in some holes to kind of to drill out the eastern side. Will those be, are you going to orientate, are you going to, are you going to um, go across like that, or are you going to take yes. from the same pad and, and go out like that? No, no, because we <laughs> we feel that the geology is all dipping in the area, regardless of what side you're on. This is not representing a full. Okay. okay. So, so you keep keep um, just going to step across that way, and then you, so you're going to do how many holes on that step to the east? Probably, well, at least two, most four. Yeah. Okay, if, two to four. If we like what we're seeing out here, and yeah. that might consider us to step back even further and try that. But we're going to step back 100 meters from the original collar, which would be about yeah. out to here. I will test that. If we, uh, like, like I said, if, even if we're seeing massive alterations similar to what we saw in the, the vertical hole at that first collar, then yeah. we, when we've got reason to step back even further, then we can and, do another 100 meter step out and go underneath that. And um, so the geology is dipping to the east northeast. Yes. And the the the, the w w you said there was a, a hole which was quite distal, which had a ten ppm um, signature. Is that Gem zero zero four? Was that a different one? Nope, that is AK two. Um, yeah. So okay. this one is basically vertical. 
Okay. Um, and so you're going to step out to the east and you're going to step out north and south. Correct. Yep. We're going to keep going up here, keep going up here, keep going up here until we get close to the project boundary. So the anomaly is split between two companies. Right. Load, and to the north is 92E. And then we will continue south as well. Okay. And what's the timing roughly on, on, on this um, drilling program? You've, so you've got a winter program going at the moment. And you're going to get all of that drilling done before the spring thaw. Yeah. We're, we kind of planned ahead. We know what the last two winters have been like here in Saskatchewan. They've been early spring thaws, mid-March, basically. So when I, when I first started out with an exploration out here, you could go till end of April on the ground, no problem. You wouldn't rub the ground. You didn't have to worry about spring thaw or anything like that. So, but the way things have been going recently, spring thaw has been coming month, month and a half early and checking with the National Oceanographic Institute, they're calling for another early spring thaw. So anywhere between mid-February to mid-March, we kind of figure, well, if we want to do this on the ground, it's not going to happen. We have to go airborne. And even just going airborne, that's, that's been our approach almost from day one. That's, yeah, it adds a little bit of cost, but in the long run, you, you're not, you have no potential for running the ground. You don't have to clear trails or anything like that. You're, you're leaving everything up and it's all nice and pristine. So you just, you have whatever little impact you have is with your camp and with your, your drill collars. So having the helicopter support that we do right now, we can continue this well beyond the spring thaw because we won't be running the ground. Yeah, fantastic. So um, uh, fly in, fly out. The, the, the heli rigs can drop them in and drop them out. Well, um, with the early thaws, there's an, there's an argument that um, perhaps the world needs a little bit more low carbon energy. Preaching to the choir, my friend. <laughs> really? Really? Are, are, you, are, you a fan of, are you a fan of the nuclear industry? I have been a fan since I even got into the to exploration. Yeah, this nuclear energy is the only way forward. It's the only path forward. I know yeah. people—they're alarmed by it, and you know, everyone, everyone quotes Chernobyl and Fukushima. So that's two accidents out of how many? Oh, don't don't get me started. Don't get me started. Oh, no, no. The two of us—I bet we could go. Yeah, <laughs> we could talk about this for an awfully long time. Great. So I'm getting a much better understanding of um, Accio and what you're doing. Um, thank you. I, 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 I really get that. What else are you doing? So to, just to, again, to help me with repetitions, you're doing the, um, you are doing the geophysics on shadow and on um, catharsis. And will, will there be drilling at shadow and catharsis in this, or, or indeed within the wider hook area uh, in the coming months? Let's give you the full-blown plans for 2022 then. So this winter is 100% focused on 10,000 meter drill program, two drills, helicopter supported, out at Accio. That's all we're going to yeah. do. There, between, well, I guess between uh, June and March, we do plan to have some additional geophysics done. Actually, we, we, we were supposed to have a VTAM survey that would have been completed last summer. I ran into a lot of technical issues. This is on catharsis, sorry, on catharsis. But that VTAM survey should be coming back online in February of this month. So we'll continue the VTAM survey over catharsis trying to pick up some of these conductors and give us some more targets that way. Going between the Accio drilling and June this year, we're hoping to have some additional airborne gravity surveys done on Hook Southwest. And we're hoping that we can get shadow flown, but shadow is a little bit of a 
it, it, we're still in consultation with that. We don't, we've got all the regulatory, all the uh, provincial permits to explore the project. We simply don't have the social license to operate on that project. And that's what we were working for. As soon as we can get that and have everything resolved there, then we would fly the flight project with an airborne gravity survey. We and also sorry, want to follow up. So just, just, just on, that, on that social license, is that a, um, just a time thing or has there been an incident? Is it a, a, is it process or is it something to kind of that needs working out? It's something that basically needs working out just with the First Nations in the area. They, they feel that we were too close to the community and that we would affect their uh, their caribou and their traditional rights uh, up in the area. So we kind of got, um, we, we have a little bit of a, a standstill. No, not, not even standstill. Yeah. It's, yeah, just we're kind of on hold for the project until yeah, just just, yeah. just let things until, settle yeah. down and just just talk it through and okay. We we've tried to show the community that you know our our approach to exploration is very minimal and the community would never know that we're in the area, which we're still working towards that. So we'll we'll see how that goes. After that though, so still continuing with geophysics, we are planning to fly a high-resolution radiometric survey over catharsis, over the east end of catharsis, where we have high-grade rare earths, as well as high-grade uranium. So we want to, and all at surface, so we're hopefully, hopefully be able to pick those up and maybe any, any boulders or any potential trends in that area as well. That will give us guidelines for getting people out, out on the ground and prospecting things that way. And then we've also got a uh, MT survey, so another Airborne MT survey planned for the east side of Catharsis and as well the east and south ends of Catharsis, as well as up at Hook and Hook Southwest. But we're curious because again, MT surveys were flown in the past. They have not shown any or EM surveys were flown over Hook in the past. They've never shown any conductive signatures. But it, you have to realize that EM is vastly different from MT. I like MT. I love the whole idea behind it. I've used it successfully on many projects. And I think that what we can learn from the MT survey will help with our targets that we have defined by magnetics and gravity already. Getting into the summertime, we want to be a little bit more aggressive, especially on Accio, looking at about 30,000 meters. Uh, so that would give us 40,000 meters by the end of the season. The reason why we're just saying 40,000 meters is because that would give us 100 drills. And we figure that 100 drill holes if the mineralization is there, if we love what we're seeing, you know, can we get to a resource with 100 drill holes? I firmly believe that we can. I think it's quite possible and it would be a reliable resource estimate so that we can start working towards an accurate resource by the end of the year, especially with the way uranium's taken off. It makes sense to have a value that people in the market, that analysts can attribute to the company. So yeah, that's right. Accio is being pushed hard that way. Again, a lot of it hinges on what we find with 10,000 meters. Uh, do we add more? Do we take away some? That all depends on this winter's success. But we've also got targets that we really want to see drilled at on the Hook project as a whole. So we've got about a 2,500 meter to 5,000 meter drill program planned for Hook, which will be independent of Accio. So you can consider three, three drills on the entire project in itself. And then Catharsis as well. We, we planned to drill there last year, just unfortunately the way timing and everything worked out and success at Accio, we had to push Catharsis off. But we, we've got a number of targets that we want to see drilled on Catharsis. Uh, 
based on the original gravity and with the VTEM survey that we'll have completed, that will define our targets for us. And another 2,500 meters to 5,000 meters planned on catharsis with ground exploration focusing on the eastern eastern side of the project, really trying to find strike length and any continuity of high-grade rare earths, high-grade uranium. James, thank you. Um, I've, I've put a much uh, clearer picture now. Um, so potentially 50,000 meters, if everything goes well this year, kind of it's the 5,000 meters each, up to 5,000 meters on hook and catharsis, and potentially up to 40,000 meters on um, Accio, uh, with with the geophysics kind of in, inter, interspersed and inter, um, interwoven with all of that. Thank you very much. I wish you all the best and all the, all the um, good luck with your exploration. And uh, I look forward to getting you back on to explain um, or telling us about what you found. And again, thank you very much for the your patience with a noob to the Athabasca Basin <laughs> and uh, the introduction to the kind of the, 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 the broader uranium mineralizing systems. Well, it's been a pleasure. You're a geologist, so... No, geologists can learn geology very quickly. Yeah, good. After, after 10,000 meters, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to um, hearing about that. Thank you very much. Thanks, Robert. Take care.